This week, it's an absolutely fabulous, thoughtful show full of thrills, chills, and big, enduring questions. Paul Bay has crafted an anthology of stories that are sometimes scary, sometimes funny, sometimes achingly beautiful, and always, always thought-provoking. Ponder the nature of life and love itself on The Big Loop, coming up right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. You have probably heard of Paul Bay. He's certainly more famous than I am. He came to prominence through his work on the Black Tapes podcast, which became one of the standard bearers for the audio fiction genre soon after its premiere in 2015. I imagine there are many of you listening right now for whom the Black Tapes was your first audio drama podcast. Open-hearted, charming, and honest, Paul is interested in big, meaty questions. Does God exist? What do our relationships mean? What is life for? These questions, along with healthy doses of suspense, horror, and dark comedy, suffuse the stories in The Big Loop, an anthology series he produces with Steve Jin and a host of talented voice actors. Most of these stories are single-voiced performances, and it makes them extremely intimate. They're intense performances. Among my favorites are Brigham Snow's performance in Goodbye, Mr. Adams, and Joanna Gaskell's in The Surrogate. And as you listen through the show, you'll hear from other familiar voices as well. Anna Laurie, Lauren Shippen, and Julia Morizawa from The Bright Sessions alongside Brigham, uh, Kristen Mercurio from Ars Paradoxica, and Haley Henninger from Palimpsest. There's so much to explore in The Big Loop. From goofy assassins, to pilots that try to pierce the eye of God, to squid-bodied babies. But today I want to focus on my favorite episode of all, Surfacing, the first episode of the second season. It's the story of a deaf Japanese ama diver, and you won't hear her voice. What you'll be hearing is her daughter's voice as she translates her mother's Japanese sign language into English, and she'll occasionally break off and say something in Japanese as she communicates with her mother through lip reading, speech, and sign language. It's something I don't think I've ever heard depicted in audio fiction before, and I really deeply love it. I don't want to say too much more about this episode, except that I think it's really touching and beautiful and I hope it makes you feel the way I feel. Here it is, Paul Bay's Big Loop, with Surfacing, starring Mayumi Yoshida. When you are born with something missing, you don't know you are missing anything at all. You don't know, that is, until people start telling you that something is missing in you. But I never felt anything was missing. Never. Even when girls would pick on me in school. They would get bored or if they didn't, I would beat them up. It gained me a reputation as someone you do not push too far. Maybe that's why I never felt anything missing. The world of hearing seemed like a noisy place. An ugly place. I didn't need to hear to know that. But I suppose that's what drew me under the sea. When you are underwater, you cannot hear much. 
There, you and I are the same. But nothing has changed for me. It's changed for you. In the ocean, then I am more powerful than you. We came from the ocean, you see. And that's where I found myself. Again, in the depths where things can hide in plain view, where secrets are drowned, never to surface again. From QRX, you're listening to The Big Loop. I'm Paul Bay. Today's episode, Surfacing. We begin with part one. It was my father who suggested I take up diving like my mother. It was 1957. I was 11 years old. It was different back then, of course. This felt more like a large village instead of a city. Smaller. Everyone rode bicycles. There were cars, but not like you see today. And oysters were not raised the way you see today with nurseries and laboratories and Rows upon rows of floating farms. When my mother walked, she did it the old way, before they made us wear the white suits to cover our bodies. My mother went into the sea the way we came out of it, naked, except for her loincloth and headscarf and goggles. That was before American tourists would visit. They were offended by our nakedness, so the company made us cover ourselves. But my mother, she was legendary. Most divers went under for two, three minutes. My mother, she could be under for four or five minutes. I suppose that's where I got it from. When my mother passed, my father never talked about it. I suppose he wanted me to go to college, but I would have to go away for that. To Tokyo, maybe, which was another world to me. And maybe some girls would like that. Like my daughter here, Hanaka, who went all the way to California for school. Um, um, can we, can we stop for a second? I'm sorry. お母さん、私日本帰ったのお母さんのためだよ。主は習うために。それで一緒にお母さんと一緒にここに帰ってこようと思って言ったのに。孫と一緒にいたくないの?うん、分かってるけどそうだけど、でも、でも私たちの生活
Okay, fine. I- I'm sorry. We can, um, maybe we can pick up where we left off. After my mother died, the Amas took care of me. They raised me as one of them. I would wait for them at their hut and even help separate the wood for the fire. They would come in from the cold and they would be out there in the freezing ocean for up to four hours and I would have the fire and their tea waiting for them. It was a sisterhood. Like a holy place with no gods but us. Sure, we prayed before walk as we tied our hair under our scarves. But there is a difference between culture and spirit. The rituals, that's for them. For the village. For everyone watching. But to us, we were our own family. My father asked me over dinner one night. He was staring out the window at the ocean. We had a small place, barely a room, but it had a view, which made everything feel larger. And without looking at me, still staring out at the ocean, he said with his hands, Would you like to dive with the Amas? I don't remember what I said, but I think I answered right away, because my mind was looking into his. My eyes following his, he was thinking of my mother, of how she got sick after I died, from diving so deep, from coming up too quickly. I wasn't there, the day on the boat. But I heard she seemed fine until a few minutes later. She fell ill. I had a week to say bye to her in the hospital. Then she was gone. We cremated her by the ocean. Her ashes were buried in our family grave outside the village. I visited her grave the day before I began, before I entered the ocean, before I became a woman. It was the beginning of a new life for me. I had been swimming since I was a child. I feel like I spent half my life in the sea, but I was always the best among my friends. I could hold my breath for two, three minutes, and I always wished I could stay under longer. Because of my deafness, I was always reminded I was not fully whole, that I was missing something. But in the sea, I am floating in a world made for beings like me, a world of silence. If people like you go into the water, it is disorienting. You lose your hearing. You lose a major sense. Not me. It is as if I suddenly have the gift of flight over the ocean floor. And I could go deep 
deeper than anyone. By the time I was sixteen, I was going under for five minutes, then six. Wide spread of my talent, but my sisters protected me, especially one of them, Hanae. She was a little older than me, and she is the one who trained me. She showed me how to tie the barrel to my waist, how to jump feet first from the boat in order, how to breathe properly, how to whistle out the air, how to grab the abalone five at a time, where to find the best lobster. We communicated using hand signals and with our eyes. It was like she could read my mind. Thinking about her now, it's like it was from a dream. Do you remember words in your dreams? I have never heard the sound of her voice, yet I know what it sounds like. Isn't that strange? One night, she wanted to show me something. The moon was so bright, sending a beam of light across the water. We didn't have a boat, so we waded in from shore, out past the last boat. We dove down. It was deep, but the water was so clear back then. You could see Avalone thirty feet down on the ocean bottom then. It wasn't cloudy like it is now, so I followed Hanae below, and she pointed to something shiny on the ocean floor. It was too deep for her, so I thought she wanted me to check it for her. I kept diving, and when I reached it, I saw it was a sunken ship, and the shiny thing was a metal statue of a mermaid. It was the remain of the bow of a ship. I touched it, and I saw Hanae smile, and I floated back up to her, and then. Under the water, away from the villagers, we kissed as if we were the only human on the whole planet. We had this world to ourselves, floating in each other's arms. Mama, もっと分かった。分かった。うん。うん、うん、そうだね。うん。分かった。これはママの話なのね。We were inseparable after that. But because we were ama divers, everyone called us sisters. It was not strange to see women in the company of only women. No one found it. Conspicuous, and every month, Hanae and I would dive in the moonlight to the wreckage to visit the mermaid statue. I would dive below Hanae and swim in circles around the statue, and she would smile. And we would remain in each other's arms, weightless, as if love had unburdened us of ourselves. As if we were only spirits, without bodies.
When I was nineteen, my father fell ill. He had a stroke. He lost feeling in half his body, and he couldn't speak. What a pair we were! A deaf daughter and her mute father in a wheelchair. I had to start diving longer to find the best abalone that would bring more money at market. But it wasn't enough. I could see the pain in my father. He loved me so much, and I thought of my mother. There was a fisherman who walked with us once a week. He had one of the bigger boats, and he had always liked me. He proposed to me once before, but I shrugged it off. He was handsome and wealthy by our standards. But I loved Hanae. But now my father was like this, and we needed money because he couldn't work. And this fisherman was so nice to him, to me. I wouldn't be the first woman to have an arrangement of convenience. I suspect most of the amadivas in my group were married to men they found kind and supportive, but. Not men they were in love with, and he understood what I expected of him from my father. So, we married, and a year later, we had my daughter here, Hanaka. This, this was hard on Hanae. She was older than me, but. I was always the more level-headed one. I told her we could still meet under the sea, where no one would find us, no one would know. But she didn't like that. We had always been able to communicate through simple hand signals, our own private sign language. But now, it's like we suddenly spoke different languages. How do you explain to someone? Without words, that it's possible to have your body with one person and your heart with someone else. Women have been doing this for ages. We wouldn't be the first, but we didn't have the language for that because she didn't want to hear that. And then, one night, we were having one of those disagreements. My daughter was almost a year old now, and Hanae was inconsolable. There was a storm, and she swam out into the ocean. I swam out after her. She dove under, and I gave chase. Our sisters tried to row out after us, but the fishermen wouldn't let them take their boats out. The waves were so big, the boats were having trouble launching, and I kept diving. One dive, another dive, each one getting longer. I was under for four minutes, five, and six. One of the fishermen said, "I was under for eight minutes." 
They found me exhausted and pulled me onto a boat. And Hanae. We never found Hanae. For the next three years, every time there was a full moon, I would go out by myself and dive down to the wreckage and float before the mermaid. I would close my eyes and remember what it was like holding my one true love in my arms, weightless in our tiny, solitary dance, where no one existed or mattered except each other. It was our universe. And then, one night, in the glow of the moon, as I floated and danced in front of the mermaid, something touched my arm. And that is the day it all changed. When we return, the conclusion of surfacing after these messages from our sponsors. If you look at your podcatcher, you probably have a ton of podcasts you have yet to listen to. But I want to recommend one podcast that I think you might want to listen to after The Big Loop. I'm talking about one of my favorite podcasts, Greater Boston. Like The Big Loop, it is scripted and fictional and full of surprises. It takes place in Boston, but it's a Boston you have never known and know very well. It's a magical blend of fact and fiction, a hinterland occupying space between the real and unreal, and it's a lot of fun. If you like the unpredictable stories of The Big Loop, then you're going to love Greater Boston. Greater Boston kicks off their third season on September 4th, and the team are composed of the loveliest people, and we only like to support people that we actually get along with. So make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to Greater Boston. When you are deep underwater, the one thing you never feel is someone's touch. No one ever touches you. That's partly why dancing with Hanai under the ocean was so special. To share her embrace silently with her. She was sharing in my world as I was sharing in hers. So when I felt something grab me by the arm, it shocked me. I turned, and there was nothing there. I searched below me, and on the other side of the wreckage, way by the stern, I could see something. I saw someone. I couldn't see who it was, but 
but I saw a human shape with long hair floating in every direction. I thought it might be Hanae's body, trapped by the wreckage, so I swam closer. I had never swam that deep before, so I was careful to stay in tune to my body to make sure I paid attention. And I got closer to this body. It was naked. Hanai had been fully clothed when she went into the ocean, so I wasn't sure what happened. So I approached, closer and closer. And I was about ten feet away from it. And suddenly, it started to sink. Like a large stone, it started to sink below the wreckage. And there was so much hair, and it was covering the face. I couldn't see who it was, and it disappeared into the blackness of the ocean depth. I returned to the surface, and I was coughing from being under for too long. My husband was there with his boat, and he pulled me out of the water. And... I lost consciousness. I remember so many dreams of Hanae, and strangely, of my mother. We were swimming in a field of flowers, in the air. My mother had one of my hands, Hanae had the other. And there we were, the three of us, swimming. And when we got to the other side of the field, there waiting for us, was a hundred of our Ama sisters. They were dipping and diving through the air like egrets. In another dream, I was making love to Hanae on a beach with white sand and... and I felt like I could hear the ocean waves. I'm not sure if I did because I'd never heard anything before. But it felt like I was hearing it, as strange as that may sound. And then I had another dream of Hanae floating away from me, out at sea. The sun was high in the sky, directly above us. The heat was blistering and the ocean began to bubble and boil and I kept reaching out to Hanae, trying to call for her, but she kept drifting out further and further, and then out over the horizon. And that's when I woke up to my husband. He had his hand to my forehead, pressing a wet towel against it. He told me I had been feverish for three days, Asleep, restless with nightmares. He signed slowly and clumsily, but I had always appreciated him trying to learn my language. But then he said, I mentioned Hanae in my sleep, which surprised me since I don't remember ever talking in my life. I think it surprised him too. And he said they couldn't find her body. I told him what I saw, that I think her body sank to the ocean floor and the storm carried her away, lost to me forever. And I could tell 
He was thinking something, as if his body were here, but his mind was elsewhere. If I did talk in my sleep, I don't know what else I said. But from that day on, a wall formed between us. A separation. He remained a good husband to me, a good father to Hanaka. And when the cancer came for him, I was a good wife to him. I stayed by his side the whole time, holding his hand, caressing it, thanking him for taking care of my father, of Hanaka. For me, I never felt I needed taking care of. So when my daughter left for California, it did not break me the way it breaks most mothers. I had always kept my heart close to me. I would not let it go again. Because I let it go once, and it... It floated away, carried off in a storm, into the darkness. One night, the moon came out, and I was standing by the water, thinking of a letter my daughter had sent me. About the new sign language she had learnt, and was coming back to teach me. I didn't see the use for it since everyone in my village who I needed to talk to understood me already. But it would be good to see my daughter again after so many years away. I was still working then, diving four times a day still. And there I was, standing by the shore, staring at the moonlight on the water, and I saw something way out on the horizon. In the light of the moon, I saw something. I saw someone. And my heart began to race, and I knew immediately what it was, who it was. Does this sound crazy to you? Do you think of me as some crazy old woman? Maybe. I don't care. I undressed. I didn't even tie my hair. I walked naked into that water and swam out toward my destiny. And I knew where she was going to be, by the mermaid on the ocean floor. She would be there now, because she was sorry for what she had done to me. For leaving me alone. For abandoning me for pursuing my sense of duty. For turning my back on our love. And I dove, and I dove, and I found myself there, floating, waiting. The moonlight shone on the wreckage, casting it in a ghostly light. And from beneath me, something rose from the depths. Something, someone, and I... She came back. For me. I felt her touch. Along my arms. Along my back. My face. Her fingers. I felt them. And I brushed back her hair. And stared into her eyes. 
and we floated like that for what seemed like an eternity. And she held my face in both her hands and kissed me. I closed my eyes, knowing this, this wouldn't last, because eternity doesn't apply to us. All we have is what we feel today. So I kissed her, trying to remember every detail of her body, her lips, her face. And I opened my eyes. And she was gone. Forever. So, here I am. Alone in my village, but with my sisters of the ocean. Diving for abalone, seaweed. Sometimes one of us will find a pearl. And when that happens, we all share in the wealth. The sister who finds it buys us all beer and we drink in celebration. And then I go home. Alone. And it's fine. Because I have had too much love in my life. Is that strange to say? I have had an abundance of love. Because she gave me everything. And when someone gives you love like that, it lasts only a moment. It's never meant to last forever. But I am glad my daughter is back to see me. She speaks for me. For a mother she barely knows. But I suppose it's time I start telling her my stories. About my life. About my sisterhood. About the women of the sea. About her grandparents. Her father. And the only love I have ever known. I will tell her about her, about how love was born in the ocean and died there. Big Loop is written and produced by Paul Bay, mixed and engineered by Steve Jin. Today's episode stars the incredibly talented Mayumi Yoshida. We count ourselves lucky to have been able to feature such a generous actor who's not only gifted in front of the camera, but behind it as well. Check out her bio at thebigloopodcast.com where you'll see her upcoming work in acting and directing. And the song you're hearing right now is by Philip Feigl. We featured four of his songs in this episode and like with all of our musical artists, we believe him to be highly underrated. So please go to our website under the music section, follow his links, and if you like what you hear, purchase his albums. 
We want to support independent artists like Philip Weigel, and we encourage you to support him too. Follow us on Twitter at BigLoopPodcast.com and on Facebook. And if you have a minute, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts would be wonderful. And finally, if you like what we're doing at The Big Loop, please consider joining us on Patreon, where we have tons of behind-the-scenes videos and bonus material and insider news at patreon.com slash bigloop. And that's it for us. We'll be back in two weeks with our next story, and it will be something entirely different. There's no way for you to prepare for that one. So until then, tell your friends, tune in, peace out. I cannot say enough good things about The Big Loop. And if you'd like to hear me say more good things about it, about the challenges it issues to the audience, its attitudes towards violence, its explorations of faith, masculinity, and love, check out next week's episode, when I sit down with Paul Bay to talk about what undergirds the show. It's an intensely personal work, even in places where it doesn't seem obvious. You can support our work on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival, and you can follow us on Twitter at Radiodrama. Visit our website at radiodramarevival.com where you can read our bios, investigate our archive, and buy merch at our marvelous store. That's radiodramarevival.com slash shop. I'm so grateful Will is back. They are a light and a delight. And now, for your listening enjoyment, your moment of Will. Hello, listener. I have, in fact, returned. Here I am. It's me. I'm no longer in Orlando. Now I'm in the dry, dry heat instead of the wet, wet heat. It was very gross. This is also gross. Anyway, for your moment of will this week, I wanted to talk about another fantastic sci-fi anthology. The Twilight Zone, of course. So, The Twilight Zone and its sister show, The Night Gallery, are two of my favorites, probably unsurprisingly. One interesting thing about The Twilight Zone, though, is just how much cast crossover it had with another famous sci-fi TV show. Do you know what other show's cast showed up in a ton of The Twilight Zone? No? Yes. Well, tune in to our interview with Paul Bay next week and find out the answer. You know what? I never get to say I love you to the listeners. I'm going to steal one of Will's catchphrases from a couple months ago. I love you, my little prickly pear. You're so good. I don't think I can say it as well as they say it. Mm, mm -mm. All right. Well, that's, that's why I let her do it. And now let us sound the traditional end of episode gong. The sound of that gong tells me it's time for the credits. 
This podcast is recorded in Washington, D.C., which is the unceded territory of the Piscataway Indian Nation and the Piscataway Kanoi Tribe. Our theme music is Danger Diggy Doo by DJ Stranger Danger, whose music can be found on SoundCloud. Our line producer and associate interviews producer is Will Williams. Our senior interviews producer is Eli McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editors are Elena Fernandez-Collins and Rashika Rao. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhouch. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. <laughs>